Uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, because um, it's Time Change Sunday. thought it would be a good idea to talk about demons. <laughs> I didn't really plan that. It just happened to be the next passage. Uh, Matthew chapter 8. I, I want to I talk to you about uh, demons today, and I, I do want to. It's not something that I dread. I find it to be something important um, as we... Uh, look to the scriptures, uh, we even see maybe even uh, an emphasis on that in these gospels. Um, I want to be careful in the way I talk about this, but I, I, I want us to see this, that as you look at the scriptures and as you see demonic activity, um, most of it centers around the gospels. And some of it is just speculation as to why, but I think most of it has to do with just Jesus coming to this earth. Because Jesus is the answer to our sin problems, I believe that there was an upsurge in demonic activity during the time of Christ, which uh, Jesus answered and had no problem with at all uh, because of his power and authority. Uh, that's what we'll see today. Satan is real. I know that sometimes we don't like to think of him as real. And the idea that uh, demons partner with him are uh, servants of his to go out and do his bidding here in this earth uh, is difficult for us to get our head around. That, that stuff is going on that we don't know exactly uh, how it's playing out. But I want you to know today that we have an enemy and he has a desire for our life. Uh, he has destruction desiring for our life. And so this morning we're going to talk about that. Before we look at Matthew chapter 8, I want to give you just a few verses on spiritual warfare just to think about this morning uh, in preparation. First of all, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, if you are familiar with the, the book of Ephesians and specifically chapter 6, uh, there's the armor of God. And I want to tell you, uh, when it comes to spiritual warfare, to things going on, to our protection, we are not left without resources. Uh, we are both protected as well as having offensive weapons to fight. And so I, I want you to know that. But in, in chapter 6, verse 12 of the book of Ephesians, it says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood is our people, our humans, our enemies that are just like us. But against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so that verse tells us that there's stuff going on down here but there's also stuff going on that we can't see. And that is where the battle lies uh, for us. That that's, makes us uncomfortable. It just does. Uh, there's no way around that. Um, most of the time, we feel very confident with the physical things of this life. People we see uh, dealing with problems down here. And yet... Uh, the book of Ephesians, it tells us, as well as other places, we see it evident that there is a war going on uh, that we cannot see, though we see the effects of it all the time. 
Second verse I want to tell you and bring to you this morning is first in first John chapter four. And it says this little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Uh, it's important for us to remember when uh, we have fears of what's going on that we cannot see and the, the damage that is being done, that we would remember that greater is he who is in us than he is in the world. That we do not need to fear because the power of Christ is greater than the power of any enemy that we could have. I think often when we think of the spiritual battle, we are, are fearful But that fear, that fear is super important for us to answer with the faith of Jesus Christ that we would focus on him. Sometimes we find that we would have to have this focus on our enemy, but the focus should not be on our enemy. It should be on our savior, Jesus Christ. Um, And he is the answer to any uh, problem that we might have wrestling with that which is going on uh, in the universe the third thing I want to tell you, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. It says this, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. The answer uh, to spiritual warfare is not so much the engaging of our enemy, but the standing of our ground. Uh, the desire for our enemy is that we would switch answers. It's like, when you were taking tests at school and they were the A, B, C, D type tests and you got the right answer, you bubble the little bubble that says B and then you go, I don't know if that's the right answer. And in your insecurity, you exchange the right answer for the wrong answer. That's the desire of the enemy is that he would take us in our right place And through discouragement and through temptation and through uh, attacks, he would pull us away and cause us to change. Um, And the theme of the New Testament is stand your ground. Stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. Don't move when enemy attacks come. And then lastly, I want to tell you this from James chapter 4, verse 8. It says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. The beauty of that verse tells us this. That God is desiring us to draw near to Him. And as we do, He will not reject us, but rather He would draw near to us as well. How does this come up with spiritual warfare? Simple. Simple. You are called to come near to Him. It's as if, uh, you know, as kids, what happens in the night when you get scared? What do you do? You get up, you run to your mom and dad's room, and you hop in bed with them. Uh, Parents don't necessarily like this. For a moment, it's sweet. Uh, but why do we do it? Why, why is that? Because we know that we're safe with our parents. We know that we're safe with our father. It's the same picture. You're walking along a road and it gets dark and scary. You come near to your father. You hold his hand. And the point is this. That through the fears that are legitimate, 
we draw near to God and he draws near to us. He is the one that is our protection. We don't have to understand everything about spiritual warfare other than this, that God has got us protected. And then his son, Jesus Christ, is, is the answer, the focal point of what we should be doing. With that in mind, uh, let's uh, look at chapter 8, starting at verse 28. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you this last section. And when he came to the other side, to the country of Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at a distance, at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go! So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. God bless the reading of your word. It calls us to be changed as we consider the power and authority of Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus had uh, done healings. Uh, He had done specific healings and even had this open house, if you will, where people had come, both those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And then Jesus also explains that there's a cost to following him. And then he hops in a boat and goes across. And on the way over there, there's this storm that happens. It, it kicks up and it's an amazing storm. It's not a normal storm. Possibly even some kind of uh, demonic storm, if you will. And Jesus quiets the storm in such a way where his disciples go, Who is this man? Who is this man? Uh, how is this? They'd never seen anything like it. They were amazed. Who is this man that even the winds and the sea obey him? And as they uh, were on the boat with him, they crossed to the other side. And that's where we pick up our story this morning. I, I want to tell you that I believe that uh, the enemy was on Jesus trail all the time. There was a sense where uh, it was. He was constantly seeking to destroy the followers, the disciples of Jesus, to destroy their faith, to cause them to fear, to cause them to quit. Um, And I think that's his purpose today, uh, is that he would cause us to quit, to lay down, to move from the place that he, uh, he wants us to be. So they go to this city, or really this region across the, the sea, and in verse 28, it says, Two demon-possessed men met him 
coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. You find these two men, uh, the other accounts only really describe one, but uh, it's the idea of a speaker probably as two people, one being the speaker uh, that spoke to Jesus and the other one just being silent but still demon-possessed. So there's two, two of them there. And what we know about them is they were coming out of the tombs, the area of the tombs. Probably that was the area that they hung out in uh, away from the people. And so much, so violent and uh, so possessed were these that people couldn't even pass them because they would not allow it. Um, this was something that had to have been a menace uh, to their to their area, to their city. And these two demons, we don't have a time frame of how long this had been true. Uh, we don't know. Uh, what exactly was so violent about them. We just know that they were demon-possessed. And that being a reality, not something that um, was just a show. As Jesus came, in verse 29 it says, And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? They're asking the question, what's going on here? What We have nothing in common. Why are you coming? What, what is your connection with us? And it's interesting, they label him, his correct label, the Son of God. And one of the things that you uh, will see throughout Scripture is that we struggle with the identification of Jesus We wonder, is he truly God? There are people in our world today that think of him as just as a man. But the demons do not. The demons identify him properly. They see him as he is, Jesus, the Son of God. And so these demons identify him. And uh, it's interesting, it must have been unique too. The disciples were there. We don't know how many others were there other than the herdsmen. We'll, We'll meet them in a moment. But we see this, and they may not have known he was the Son of God, but the demons did. And this is the the point that you must understand. Why is there a war going on? It's because they know Jesus is the new king. They know him to be that. And so these demons identify him as the Son of God. And then they ask this question, have you come here to torment us before the time? Uh, so what time is it? You know, I, I, there's all these questions. I, I see myself as one of the disciples being there clueless to what's going on. The demon possessed guys are there and they're having this conversation with Jesus. And he says, have you come out here to torment me before the time? And I'm going, what time? Jesus's first trip to the earth was there in the midst of that. It was his first coming. He had uh, come to this uh, this earth and 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 he was displaying himself and showing himself as this new king and they said well what time are you talking about i believe that the time referenced here by the demons is the second coming of christ where they know they even can see their own demise out in the future and they know this is not going to last forever And they're going, Jesus, why are you coming? Are you going to shorten our time? 
Or is this the time that you have come? And so these demons understand both the person of Jesus better than we do and maybe even the plan of Jesus. Before the time. The demons knew that their their time was short and were concerned that it would be shortened even more by Jesus showing up on the scene. We move from there uh, to the setting. And it, it says in verse 30, Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged them, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. You get this picture there, you know, maybe in a setting, a, a, a pasture of some sort, and there's this large herd of pigs, 2,000 or so, a ton of pigs out there. Uh, and they look upon them and the, these demon-possessed men call out to Jesus and says, send us into the pigs. Well, why into the pigs? Uh, some have suggested that to the Jews, the pigs were dirty animals not to be eaten or touched. And so they sent us into the pigs, and somehow that would be an affront to the Jews. Others have suggested that uh, the demons just wanted more destruction. And so as they ruined and couldn't ruin these two men anymore, they said, let us at least go ruin the property of these pigs. Um, I don't know. I don't know. There seems to be this uh, idea that to be inhabited in someone, a demon being in someone or something, is better for them. And so maybe in their minds it was some way they were going to win even by losing. Uh, but even in that, Jesus comes out the victor. You look look at this, and I find it interesting that the demons just didn't leave. Just didn't leave. They just didn't say, oh... Jesus is here. We're going into the pigs or we're going some other place. They ask for permission. I find that interesting because one of the great themes that we've seen in the book of Matthew is the authority of Jesus. And so these uh, these demons are powerful and they're somehow inside uh, these two men and there's something awful going on in them. And yet they don't have permission to do this apart from Jesus saying so. We look at uh, what this must have been like. And Jesus says in verse 32, and he said to them, go, go. With a word, Jesus casts out these demons. He removes them. You think about what that would have meant for that that city, that time, that they were obviously a menace. They were obviously a problem. And with a word, Jesus said, go, and they went. I wonder what had been done prior to that to help these two men. I wonder what kind of uh, uh, treatments they had received. I wonder what kind of encouragements they had found from their family and friends. But whatever had gone on prior, however long it had been a problem, Jesus said to them, go, and they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down a steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. I think that uh, in their desire to live to fight another day, Jesus shows his power even over that in that they were destroyed. Uh, 
We have no understanding of what happened to these demons after the pigs were destroyed, whether that was their final act or whether they went into uh, that which we cannot see outside of this world in the uh, heavenly places as it's described in Ephesians. We don't know, but it destroyed the pigs. Verse 33, um, this is the aftermath. As, as it goes from this amazing scene where these demons were brought out of these two men, you look at this and it's this amazing scene. And in verse 33, it says, the herdsmen fled. You know why they fled? Because it was the right thing to do. Because you would have fled too. If you would have seen this amazing scene, I don't know if they just saw the pig thing or if they saw the demons coming out. I don't know what they were a part of, but it was enough. It was enough for them to run like mad. That they were like, oh no, what has just happened? I, I, I saw this scene. I was standing there and this is what happened. And they run to the city and this is what it is. It says they fled. Going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Have you ever had a great story to tell and you couldn't get it out fast enough? You're fumbling over your words and you're leaving out details and people were gathering. They wanted to hear because you were so excited and maybe even fearful. And you're you're sharing this thing and, and they're telling it and they're gathering a crowd and, and word is filtering out from where they are. And, and it's just this amazing story where those two guys, you know, those two crazy guys that were out in the tombs, they were demon possessed. They were all, we couldn't go over there because of that. Guess what happened? This man comes with his disciples off a boat and he talks to them and, sp- and then they go into the pigs and then the pigs go into the water. It was amazing. I can't believe it happened. I probably would have talked faster if that was me. Uh, I, I would have tripped over my words even more. But that's the herdsmen as they came. And then it says this in verse 34. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, now, uh, this isn't true in my Bible. I, I'm not trying to manipulate or anything like this. But wouldn't it be great if your Bible, the last words down at the corner, right right here, it says, and then when they saw him, and then you turn the page. What do you expect right now? And when they saw him, the whole city comes out to see Jesus after he had done this miracle. The whole city comes out to see Jesus. And when they saw him, they bowed down and worshiped because they they had heard of this miracle and they realized who Jesus was and they bowed down and worshiped and they were thrilled that the demon possessed men were no longer demon possessed and were thrilled at the, the impact of Jesus had had on their city. And they were they were excited and they they had a parade for Jesus. They brought him into the city and they they threw a party in his name and they were excited. That's the way I would have played this out. But as you turn the page, it says, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. What? They begged him to leave their region. This doesn't fit. This doesn't fit. If you look at the previous stories, you see uh, his preaching left them in awe so that they wanted more. 
He'd done other miracles where he had healed people and, and it caused them to have a crowd. And there were other groups that came and they were, and it caused them to be more disciples and more disciples. And then there was these disciples that came and they, they were on the boat and they saw the miracle of the, the water being settled down and they go, Whoa, this is, who is this man? I, I don't understand. He's amazing. And then he goes and does this and they say, please leave. Please leave. Uh, I just think this section is a classic, clear rejection of Jesus Christ, the new king. It's just a clear rejection of the new king. You see, I only have one point of closing this morning. And as I look at this city, this region, everyone came out. Everyone came out. The whole city. You can you can imagine that they they all crowded around and hit the road, and they were they were making this trail. And I thought it was going to be this amazing worship service to to the Lord, the King. But it wasn't. It was that we as a city want you gone from here. The reason they wanted him gone, I believe, is this: <clears throat> that they were more comfortable with evil than they are than they were with the new king they were more comfortable with evil than they were with the new king you say that's an amazing story i can't believe they did that i, I can't believe they did that either but it happens all the time it happens all the time we're unsettled we're nervous that jesus is going to remove evil from our life we, we understand life as we see it. We're comfortable with both the good and the bad in our life. We're just used to it. We may have been used to it from generations. Yeah, that's just who we are. We're, we're struggling with this. We're struggling with that. And Jesus, the new king, comes in and he, he says, I want to reorder everything because I'm in charge over everything. And we're like, Jesus, would you leave my home? Would you leave my life? Would you leave me alone? We're fine without you. This morning, um, I wonder what our response to Jesus is. He is the king. He is the king. I wonder what we think of the battle that's around us. It is around us. It's real. And sometimes that makes us nervous when we think about it and we get skittish and we're like, oh no, what's going to happen? Jesus comes to this earth and he says, don't worry about it. I'm king over all. I'm king over all. Demons of all types. Sicknesses. I, I'm over it all. There's nothing that I can't protect you from. There's nothing that I can't control. This is a sad story because they should have came and worshipped. Instead, they came and rejected him. May this not be us. May this not be us. May we be people as we know uh, that Jesus is an unsettling king. We welcome him and say, have whatever. Have whatever you want. Change whatever you want in my life. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you for this morning. Um, 
Thank you for the blessing of your word. God, I'm sad um, because I, I look at this passage and I I realize that there's a battle going on that um, we're unaware of and we can't see. And yet, um, God, I'm thankful for Jesus that he is overall, that he is not without resources, he is not without power and authority. And yet what makes me sad is that these people rejected and uh, in pride, rejection is the response to Jesus. God, help us to not be proud, but be humble. Be ones that draw near, be ones that stand firm, be ones that trust in the one that is greater than he who is in the world. God, thank you for this morning. Help us to sort this out. Help us to trust in you, to walk with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.